this universe, we look at a lot of things like failure is not such a bad thing. If you're not failing, you maybe you're not trying hard enough. Welcome to Ending Pending. That's right, we're we're back. You twerps, we're, we're back and ready to fucking go. Ending Pending is a podcast where we discuss television shows which have only lasted for a single season. I'm doing this completely out of order, but I'm your host, Andy. Uh, I live in Brian Fuller's head all the time, and I'm Evan. Boy, howdy. I could go for some pie. And I'm Ronnie. <laughs> If you couldn't tell by those introductions, Ending Pending is a podcast where we discuss television shows which have only lasted for a single season. Except sometimes when we don't. But I'm the I'm the the bad girl of the podcast. <laughs> I keep picking two season shows. I Real just rebel without a cause over there. I, I just won't follow the format. I'm the the person who didn't do their part of the group project and I show up. And the project is about aqueducts, and I'm like, let's talk about Aquaman. How about that? What is an aqueduct? An aqueduct. Is oh, a... an aqueduct. Yeah, an aqueduct. <laughs> an aqueduct. Look, I'm I from... was like, aren't all ducks aqueducts? I'm from Philly, baby. I don't, I don't speak with the rules that everyone else does. It's oh, water. Oh goodness, I love that through context clues, Evan's still like aqueduct. What? What is going on here? <laughs> an aqueduct. That last anyway, is a real we, we, crucial. We've been, over, <laughs> we've been over that Andy says words wrong. It's a crick. Anywho, I broke the rules again, and I picked a two-season show, baby. You did. I did. What, You're what my sh- baby too, Ronnie. Everyone here's, everyone here's baby. I thought you were I'm just. Baby. I thought you were talking to the royal baby, and so the royal uh, baby. And so I, I wasn't sure it was. It was directly at Evan, but um, Brian Brian Fuller was a big hint from that. From those introductions, it was a big hint, and liking pie was also a big hint. We're talking about fuck. Uh, the pie met pushing daisies. There, there we go. go. Talking really about pushing forget. daisies. I did. I yeah. could not remember the name. Um, but before we get into that, I have a bit. What's the bit? The bit. What's the bit? And it's not just how I'm a bad girl, but the bit is <laughs> talk about how I'm a bad girl. So I, I yeah, the, the bit is tell me I'm naughty. <laughs> uh, the bit is <laughs> Jesus Christ. Is this the most unhinged intro we've had? Not uh, the most unhinged. This is pretty up there. It's, It is more unhinged than average. I, yeah. I've, I've I had a rough day, and uh, we're recording kind of late. And uh, we didn't record last week, so I'm just ready to go. Sure. Ripping and roaring. The bit is, I learned about this uh, from looking up uh, something about the, the show of Pushing Daisies, that Brian Fuller has the Fullerverse. And we might have talked about this before when we covered the, the Niagara Falls show. Mm-hmm. But Wonder- all of... Wonderfalls. Wonderfalls. All of Brian Fuller's shows are somehow connected. And this isn't just like tiny references, but like characters, full on characters will appear in like Wonderfalls and then Hannibal. And Which is like, weird because the same actress appears in both of them and plays different characters. But it is true. He does put references to well, his other Same with Lee Pace and Lee Pace. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we got m- multiverses of Lee Pace's in, like 
existing amongst each other, which is great. Put me in that sandwich. But um, his shows are connected. And even though they have like vastly different um, genres within it, extremely different tones. Yeah. <laughs> You you can still kind of see how a visually dynamic show like Pushing Daisies could exist alongside another visually dynamic show like Hannibal. So my bit is, who is another creator where you wish you could interconnect all of their projects into one universe? Or, if that is too kind of weird and difficult, pick a project of a movie or a show or I guess even like a book or an album and you just wish there was more within that universe. I I have one. I have one already. Just right away. Jeez. Yeah. The Guillermo del Toro. I knew verse. you were going to go Guillermo yeah. del Toro. Look, we already know that I love Guillermo del Toro and uh, all of, he has um, sort of the same... Thing that Brian Fuller has where he has like visual signatures and like color signatures and just like things, trademarks that he puts in all of his uh, movies and they're not connected. He doesn't do what Brian Fuller does where he puts like Easter egg references to his other work in there, but he could and it would all work. So like Pacific Rim and Shape of Water and the 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 good Hellboy movie, uh, and the second good and, Hellboy movie. There's two good ones. Well, he only directed one of the good Hellboy movies, though, right? No, he did both. Did he? he did one and two, and then there's a third one which sucks. Did he do one? Yeah. Okay, one was less good, so I didn't remember it as clearly. But um, oh, maybe he didn't. Now I'm second guessing myself. He did Blade Two, which Blade Two is dope. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I. I may be wrong. I think he only did Golden Army, but I I might be I might be incorrect. Anyway, uh, no, it's Del Toro baby, everyone's still baby. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, the only one that kind of wouldn't uh work maybe is uh uh Pan's Labyrinth, just because that one has got a lot to say about fascism and stuff. That's a much more serious movie, even though it has fantastical elements uh i don't want to like disrespect pan's labyrinth by throwing it into the same universe as pacific rim but uh i still think it could work i i think if brian fuller can pull off putting hannibal and uh pushing daisies technically in the same universe we i think i think it can happen i think hannibal and pushing daisies are 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 still kind of close i think the more difficult one is the one about the grim reaper which i haven't seen but it just makes Hannibal really difficult to watch if you know that there's like these slapstick Grim Reapers that are collecting all of the souls of the dead people <laughs> that Hannibal Lecter is eating and shit. Like the, the totem pole orgy. Like these these Grim Reapers are just trying to sort out whose soul belongs to which body. Anyway, uh, it, it makes Hannibal uh, a little more difficult to watch. But Ronnie, what about you? Oh, this is hard. It is hard. It is very... I gave you an easier option of you could just pick a a, a thing you really enjoy and just like, man, I I would love to see, like, what's going on over there. Yeah, I think it it 
here here's the thing evan i think yours makes a lot of sense and like could easily happen um this this doesn't make sense at all but <laughs> i want to see a sondheim verse i want to see a steven sondheim like uh people from into the woods are jumping into a little night music and 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 people from west side story are dancing across the stage into company um all of the maybe these words mean nothing to you uh but to me it would be uh, atrocious and and uh wild but nothing if not a um a reference unto itself which uh tends to be my favorite thing when it revolves around my favorite things um i just want to see some of those duets you know put a little bit of bobby from company right uh, right alongside uh the baker's wife from into the woods a little sweeney a little sweeney in there not not johnny depp sweeney heavens no but you know a little uh angela lansbury or patty lapone Patty Lapone would be in every single Patty Lapone would play so many parts in every single one of these. Same with Bernadette Peters. Um truly, truly, if I could just get more Patty Lapone and Bernadette Peters in more things, that would that would sure up a lot of loose ends for me. Um yeah, this is this is not a terrific answer. I can't give any like concrete examples of how uh everything would, would blend together, but I would like it and I would pay for this service. I'm into it. Yeah, I don't know much about Sondheim. I apologize, Ronnie. I do uh I do know quite a few of those actors though. Yeah. Uh, so I'm for it. I also uh know a lot of the things you're talking about through kind of cultural osmosis. Sure. And as a as a casual observer, I can see it. I yeah. can see it working. It certainly <laughs> wouldn't be any harder to integrate than uh Hannibal and Pushing Daisies. Let's no. let's be real. It's, no. it would be I know that I know that they have in the abstract very similar uh, structures and they have kind of similar uh elements but yeah they're they're very dramatically different mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it could not possibly be harder than that. Yeah, there's I mean there's definitely some shows where it's like this is about Jack and the Beanstalk and and uh Rapunzel and it's like that's hard to wedge into uh, somebody kind of realizing their queer identity in like 1970s Manhattan, but uh, you know everything's a metaphor for another thing. You know, it's all it's all poetry. You know, it rhymes. Uh, uh, yeah. Some somebody somebody out there has has enjoyed this portion, and then we can talk about it. There's definitely a, a Sondheim-averse uh, fan mm-hmm. fiction, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. There's definitely crossover-integrated universe fan fiction for that. For sure. So my, my project, which I wish had a universe attached to it, is going to be a 2006 movie called The Fall. It was directed by uh, Tarsem... Uh, sing. I have not seen anything else he's ever done. He was supposed to direct uh, 2005's Constantine and mm, he That didn't. would have been a very different movie. It I would have been a very different movie. The Fall was shot in 28 countries and does not have a single shot shot on a stage. Everything is done like on location and it is 
gorgeous. It is an incredibly beautiful movie to watch. It is uh, emotionally devastating. Um, the first time I saw it, it truly fucked me up in a way that no other movie has ever emotionally impacted me. Uh, it is very, very, very good. It also stars Lee Pace. He's also beautiful. In he's it. beautiful and crying mm-hmm. a lot in it. And then he's also wearing very dramatic makeup uh, during parts of it. Um, but if I could have a movie, if I could have more stories in that universe uh, that uh, Mr. Singh created, I would I would be all all about that. If I could connect one creator's projects all into one thing, it'd be Ryan Johnson. Which uh doing a Star Wars complicates. <laughs> yeah. So I think we'll I think we'd have to, you know Star Wars could just actively be happening off screen in space somewhere I, I, while I, Knives Out is also happening. I think we'd have to take uh The Last Jedi out of it, which is fine because I love The Last Jedi and it's it's holding up Star Wars, uh, you know, in the best possible way. But um his other movies, Knives Out, Looper, Brothers Bloom, and Brick could all very easily be taking place in the uh in the same universe. Uh the fact that Joseph Gordon-Levitt is in all of them complicates things a bit as well, but it's fine. If Lee Pace can be multiple people in the in the fullerverse, then JGL can be multiple people in the the Ryanverse. I've also been work this is not really doesn't fit the the the, you know, the the bill quite of the uh the bit but i have been working on for about two years now a uh an mcu style greek mythology cinematic universe i love they, that they That's have awesome. just they have done these it's basically all they've done is is troy and, and and hercules and they have just i mean troy's fine but like they have not like really laid the groundwork for like a big powerful cinematic universe the way that they could and yeah, that'd be dope. Achilles uh, wasn't gay enough in Troy. No, no. Saying. I mean, nobody's been gay enough. Um, mm-hmm. We, I mean, it's it just right. I mean, you got the Argonauts there. Like, that's your Avengers point. Like, after you see the Hercules, maybe here's how about this? It's not called it's not called Helen of Troy. It's called Helen of Sparta because Helen Sparta oh, give her yeah. agency. You know what I mean? Like a little political diplomacy move. Listen, Hollywood, Hollywood. Well, didn't she, I mean, it, was she a native Spartan or did she marry Menelaus who was a Spartan? I forget how it worked out, uh, but but <laughs> I think, I think it was that she was, I don't know. I don't know. But she, she was, she was certainly not Trojan. Yeah. I mean, her, uh, the, her first, the, the husband she legit married was definitely Spartan. Right. I don't know if she was native to Sparta. Anyway, you, I mean, you're 100% right. She certainly was not Trojan. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, we can we can work that out. We can get that also, together. Dear listener, if you've never seen The Fall, you should watch The Fall. Make sure you're in like an emotionally comfortable spot to watch The Fall. Don't do what my friend Nick did and show it to me on like the worst day ever. But like, go watch The Fall. It's really good. It is really good. I have not watched Even The Fall, you... I, but I have exclusively, I have not heard anything about The Fall unless Andy has been telling me about The Fall. 
And it's I, really good, I feel Ryan. like I might be consumed. I mean, I will eventually see this movie, but I feel like the preamble, I'm really, it's the best way to consume a movie is just through Andy's uh, uh, recommendation. Genuinely, Ronnie, watch it with me. I, I would love to watch your face while you watch the film. will. I'll have tissues ready. It's, it's, a, it's a rough movie. It's good. Even it's if you, really good. Even if you uh, like hate it, it's so gorgeous to look at that sure. it, like it's impossible to not 20, enjoy watching 28 it. countries. Not a single shot on a stage. You have me Lee Pace. Lee mm. Pace. Lee Pace sad. is real hot in it. Lots of real costume sad. changes. He's a Love bandit. A sad Lee Pace. Yeah. Yeah, it's crying. Mm-hmm. The little girl in the movie didn't know, didn't understand that it was a movie. Which is just like, mind-blowing her performance is so like sincere and like i've watched enough interviews about it that like she could understand that they were playing a game of make-believe but she didn't comprehend that she had like lines that that there were like cameras Mm. and like so you watch the movie and you're like oh my goodness this child is an incredible actor and it's like Yes, but also, like, she just thought she was playing a game of make-believe with her friend Lee Pace. Oh. It's, it's, it's so dream, charming. Honestly. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the show? Let's talk about let's more talk Lee about Pace. Sh- let's yeah. talk about Lee Pace Let's talk about Lee more, Pace, baby. Which I will literally never get to. Literally every episode we watched, we watched them separately. The TV would come on. Lee Pace's face would appear on the screen and I would go, oh my God, I love him. I love looking at him. I love Lee Pace's face. And then next episode again, he'd go, oh my God, look at him. Any wide shot. He's so tall. (laughs) He's so tall. Any wide shot. Look at how tall our boy is. He's really tall. Seven foot tall, man. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Let me, I'll do the episode summaries like I usually do. Uh, The first episode is called Pilot, but it's called Pilot. I was so confused. I was legitimately like, where does airline travel come into this? (laughs) Pilot, because it's about a pie maker. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, the show Pushing Pushing Daisies stars Lee Pace, who plays a uh, necromancer who makes pies. Uh, He discovers as a child that he has a power of mysterious origin that allows him to touch people and bring them back to life. Uh, Through trial and error, he discovers that he can touch people once they come back to life. If he leaves them alive for more than a minute, something in proximity that... The rule seems to be that it's something approximately the same size that is within a random proximity dies. And if he touches the thing or person again that he is resurrected, they die forever and he can never bring them back again. I saw it as like soul value. Uh, I don't that necessarily would know if it's that, physical size. Yeah, but. well, that would posit that uh, souls exist, which doesn't really like hasn't really come into the equation here. Well, he's a necromancer. so Wait, Sure. Hey, but like good. he was experiment. He, he brought some frogs back to life and then some squirrels outside died and he uh 
brought some lightning bugs back to life and then some other lightning bugs died and it, with humans it seems to be other humans so well that could get really dark because like some children are about the same size as like dogs and sure. he brought his dog back any good thing for Mads Mickelson that Lee Pace wasn't around am I right Fullerverse <laughs> stands <laughs> he'd get yeah. caught right away yeah so uh a crucial backstory element is that he brought his dog. He discovered this power when he brought his dog back to life as a child. His dog got hit by a car, and he brought it back to life. And very shortly thereafter, his mother uh, also died in kind of a random uh, tragic incident. She had like a blood vessel burst in her brain, and he was like, "Oh my gosh! Luckily, I've just discovered that I'm a necromancer." He touches her. He brings her back to life, but uh. By leaving her alive, he accidentally kills his childhood crush, Chuck, uh, whose, whose name is Charlotte Charles, but she goes by Chuck. He accidentally kills her dad, who lives next door. Uh, and at this point, he doesn't know that if he touches the person again, they die forever. So he then later touches his mother again, like she kisses him goodnight or something, and she also dies. So... That was just a real sad turn of events for both of them. That's what we call a fuck sandwich. Yeah. Just everything's bad. <laughs> yeah. So this is this is the, the rules of the, the universe. Flash forward. Um, little, little baby uh, Ned is grown up Lee Pace now. He owns a pie shop called the Pie Hole. Uh, he is presumably very successful because he can just buy rotten uh, produce and touch it, and it comes back to life, and then he makes pies out of it as long as he wears gloves when he's making the pies. Oh, he is like so. Hannibal. He's using his necromancy powers, but to make the most delicious pies, and Hannibal is using his serial murder killer powers. <laughs> serial killer powers, murder powers, to make really? delicious soufflés. Aren't serial killers the modern-day necromancer? Something uh, there's 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 something take, here. They take their rep, rep, you know, their their repressed uh, childhood trauma and turn it into uh, dead people. I'm gonna make some truly erotic fan fiction of Lee Pace and Mads Mikkelsen in the Fullerverse. Oh, I don't know if that would work. Poor Ned is so neurotic. He's such a good He's so boy. Anxious. He's so anxious all the time. Um. Anyway, uh, Ned's a pie maker now. He uses his power to benefit him in his pie making. But he's also got a side hustle, as everyone of a certain generation does. He's got a good friend who's a private investigator, uh, Emerson Codd, and he helps his friend uh, solve crimes by going to the morgue, touching them, asking them who killed them, and then touching them again in under a minute so that they um, don't stay alive and cause another person to die. So him and Emerson, like, split the take, split the bounties for his his PI work. I guess you don't get bounties for PI work. You just get you just get paid. But whatever. He, he's got a side hustle with a private investigator where he uh, investigates crimes. So Charlotte Charles, that uh, childhood sweetheart who lived across the street, uh, dies in a tragic accident on a uh, tourist uh, uh, cruise ship. Cruise ship is what she dies on. Uh, they go to the funeral home. Uh, 
Emerson Codd is just expecting this to go like a normal case like they do. But Lee Pace realizes, of course, Ned. Ned is the guy's name. Ned realizes that the, the dead girl is, in fact, his childhood sweetheart, who he's still kind of in love with and still also feels guilty about because he killed her dad. So he brings her back to life and then uh, sort of can't bring himself to kill her again. So the funeral director dies and she gets to stay alive and uh, they, they just can't touch ever. He, he's not fully forthcoming with her about how that happened and, and why somebody, you know, why he was able to bring her back to life. He didn't tell her specifically that somebody had to die for it. That comes up later. But uh, she sort of joins their private investigator team and uh, she's another point of conflict is that Ned's employee Olive is in love with him he's definitely not into her and now Charlotte is back in the equation so that this is this is gonna be a whole whole kettle of fish uh, episode two is called dummy so uh, Chuck a.k.a. Charlotte Charles, Ned, and Emerson Codd are investigating um, a car manufacturer because some kind of uh, mysterious death took place at this car showroom facility for this innovative new car that runs on dandelions. Uh, another important thing to know about this show is that it's extremely like surrealist uh everything's very very brightly colored and nothing quite it's very fantastical nothing quite sounds like it's a real thing so uh yeah there's this car runs on dandelions there's this whole uh like investment uh venture capital thing that has a lot of money invested in this dandelion-powered car, and over the course of their investigation into what's going on and why this body was found at this uh, car manufacturer, they realize that uh, the car is actually really bad, it's really badly made, it's totally a death trap, and uh, crash test dummies are very sophisticated, and they collect all the data from, uh, like, the car crashes. So what they're doing instead is using the bodies of people who have donated their bodies to science or research or whatever, and they're just dressing them up like crash test dummies, and they're using those as the crash test dummies instead. Uh, and then the, the guy, the CEO, head guy in charge of the Dandelion car company, knows that his car is bad and is going to kill a bunch of people, but it would be more expensive to not make the car than to let the car be produced and just, you know, let it kill people. Uh, so he tries to murder them to keep them from letting the cat out of the bag. And uh, they, they bring this, this dude to justice. Then episode three is called The Fun in Funeral. So remember that... Uh, funeral director who had to die so that Chuck got to stay alive. Um, 
he was a grave robber. He he was in the habit of stealing stuff from dead bodies and he got caught and his brother was also involved in this and his brother uh he he died by random happenstance as you will recall but uh his brother is convinced that he was murdered because he was getting all of this hate mail from these people who had found out that he was stealing their loved ones stuff so he uh they go to the funeral home because uh Chuck finds out that he died because she got to stay alive and she feels terrible about it so she wants Ned to bring him back to life briefly so that she can like apologize and ask if he like has any final thoughts or whatever so uh as a result they learn that his brother suspects that he was murdered and that there are in fact people out there who want both of them dead because they stole a bunch of stuff then the brother winds up murdered and they find his body in the freezer at the pie shop and it turns out that in fact one of the people whose loved one's stuff was stolen did kill him and was trying to frame Ned for it cuz that guy was convinced that uh Ned was a murderer anyway, uh, so he was like, ah, oh, well, this guy is a murderer anyway, I'll just frame him for this murder, and then I'll get away with killing this guy who stole my family's stuff. Um, but they encounter him in the funeral home, he and Ned have a sword fight, uh, in the, the, the fracas caused by the sword fight, they, uh, knock down some stuff and find where all of the stuff was stashed, and then Ned and Chuck mail it back to all the people who it was stolen from. Well done, like, succinctly laying out these three episodes, because so much happens. So much happens. So much happens in, in that episodes. pilot, and then it just yeah. keeps on happening. Like, there's a whole sub-side plot with the lesbians. Yeah, there's uh, there's the thing where... Charlotte was murdered for golden monkeys, it turns out, yeah, and then there's it's... the Mar Darling Mermaid Darlings, which all is good stuff, but, uh, yeah, there was a lot going on. There's so the much yeah. in these episodes. Are they, are they, I thought they were sisters, are they not sisters? Um, it, it I, I think the year was 2007, and they couldn't say. Um, they do have the same last name, which... Sure. They do, imply... it does say that they, they have been performing together since they've been, like, teenagers. But I guess that doesn't preclude them from also being gay. Yeah, yeah. because, I mean, Lee you Pace fell in love with Chuck when he was 10, which yeah. is absurd, but and young people in this can be universe, gay. that's, you know, you can fall in love at a young age and it means something. Yeah, It makes it sound like I don't believe in love. I believe in love. I just don't <laughs> believe you fall in love at 10. Anywho, um, <clears throat> yeah, great job. Simply wrapping these up. There's a lot. Thankfully, I uh, have seen this show before and love it, and I, so I kind of know what the vibe you, is. But You know, just like Kings, I didn't finish this one because I liked it so much that I just didn't want to, like, see the ending. So I'm really excited to, like, just watch strange, this show all the way through. It's a strange plan you had. I, 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 I didn't really, like, think of it that much when we talked about Kings. But, like, 
the premise that you're you're living in with these shows of just like these shows are so good i'm not going to finish them someday i'll have a podcast where i'll get to finish them <laughs> in front of <laughs> all of my friends that wasn't the plan the plan wasn't oh i'll i'll watch it on a podcast but like with with kings especially like that show meant so much to me that like not letting it end for myself and just always kind of being able to imagine what happened uh like was great um and like i enjoyed thinking like oh man like i wonder how that show ends and like this is how i would have done it and like you know it it was like it wasn't over for me because i still had that one episode left and with pushing daisies i knew that it ended super prematurely like kings and i loved season 1 that i was like why would i like I have season two to look forward to, but once I watch that, it's over and there's none left. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to save season two for like the right time to watch it. And then I'll get to really like savor it like that last piece of pie. Hey, yeah. it all comes so back it, around. It wasn't like I was saving it for the podcast, sure, but it was like, sure. oh, I'll watch season two like when I'm really in the mood for it and when I'm ready for it and I'll, I'll really make sure I enjoy it. And here we are. And here, here we, we are. are. Oh, and, by and the way, this show's great. These okay, three great. Yeah. Work. I was, I was going to yeah. ask, um, I was yeah. going to ask if this show is working for you. Um, and it sounds like it is. Sounds like it is. Uh, Hey, Evan. Yeah, Ronnie. Uh, we've watched three episodes of, of pushing daisies and I got to ask, is, is this show working for you? Hell yeah. Hey, Ronnie. Hey, yeah. Hey, Ronnie. Hey, yeah. Hey, Ronnie. Hey, yeah. These three of the pushing daisies work for you? Um. It'd be real yeah. awkward if you said no. No. Well, here's the, here's the thing. I think I am the person. I mean, I. I know I'm the person because we just spent 10 minutes talking about this. I, I have not seen a lick of pushing daisies so this is all i i i I think i at one point knew the concept but then i forgot the concept when i when i watched this um and so it's very new and some of it is extremely uncomfortable and stressful for me um but the show itself is working uh I, i do i do like the 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 dynamic that's going on um and let's get right into it just baller cast this cast just just rules um i'm blanking on his name but emerson's actor very good hilarious just like chewing up every scene Mm -hmm. he's in and making it hilarious and this show needs that Mm -hmm. this show like as funny and romantic as it is, it's extremely dark. Mm-hmm. It is extremely dark. Within the first five minutes, uh, Lee Pace's dog dies. He murders his crush's dad, and then he kills his mom. He, he a- accidentally accidentally manslaughter. Yeah, <laughs> he, he doesn't. He dad. doesn't know how his powers work. He's like a young cyclops, being like, "Oh, let me look at the the sun," and then just like laser eyes everyone. Like it's not his fault. And they're optic blasts. They're not lasers, but. 
it's a really dark show, and the 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 actor playing Emerson, like sometimes he won't even say anything. He'll just be in a scene and like do a look, and it's just fucking hilarious. Uh, one of my favorite like bits of his where was um in the funeral home. Yes. Uh, after he brings Chuck back. Yes. Do uh, it. Lee- do it. Uh, Lee Pace is explaining how the one person lives, one person dies thing works. And he's like, I can't control it. It's a random proximity thing. And Emerson Codd goes, bitch, I was in random proximity. (laughs) And then, (laughs) uh, in the third episode, when they're back at that funeral home, uh, he, Lee Pace brings the funeral director back to life. And then the lid of the coffin slams shut and gets stuck, and he can't get it open again. So, like, the the possibility begins to occur to everyone in the room that, like, the minute is going to go past. And so Emerson Cod, like, runs outside, and there's this long... He doesn't, like, explain what he's doing, but you remember it from the first episode. And he just... There's, like, this long shot of him just, like, running out of the funeral home and running down the Doing the side of the cross. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because he does not want to be in random proximity yeah. of the of the death power. Bitch, I was in proximity made me laugh mm. so goddamn hard. So funny. <laughs> um, goodness. Oh. Uh, yeah. the, 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 the waitress, the pie waitress, too. Uh, you is, talk about Olive, you talk about my yeah. girl Christian Chenoweth? Yes, yes, I know she's a big Broadway lady. Yeah. Um, uh, I knew you would get a kick out of her being in this. Love Christian uh, Chenoweth. I remember finding her a little annoying the first time I watched this show, and it, past Andy was a fool, because <laughs> current Andy is, like, every time she's on screen, just being like, yes, girl! Maybe I've just gotten gayer, but I, yeah. Well, I mean, certainly. Um, yeah. She she does. I've seen her in a ton of roles where she is not a you know on the stage or not, um you know playing an earnest character on in Broadway. She does get typecast as this person as this kind yeah, of like sure. very um badgery, very you know uh, naggy kind of uh woman. Um, uh, I, I was interested to hear like people who don't know her from Broadway, like what what is your Kristen Chenoweth hot take? Um, because I, I do get vibes of that a little bit, but I just I, I am I am biased. I cannot not want the world for Kristen Chenoweth. I, I feel like when I've seen her in other stuff, she is slightly mean spirited. Yeah. Yep. When yeah, she's this I... character and she's very earnest in this. And I think that's what is working for me this watch through in that she is not like cruel in her kind of crush with Ned and with how she's so far interacting with Chuck. I feel like I have also seen her play very vapid characters before Mm -hmm. and it, it almost feels like this show is deliberately subverting that because I don't remember if a lot of instances of it have come up yet, but Olive is very smart. She's yeah. blonde and has a high-pitched voice and kind of wears, like, low-cut shirts and things like that, so you assume that she's gonna be kind of the ditzy 
comic relief waitress. And she has very comedic moments, but she is very smart. She speaks very intelligently. And also there there's gonna there have been and there will continue to be a lot of instances where she makes very smart conclusions. She's a very intelligent person. So mm-hmm. uh the, the, scene, the scene between her and um, Emerson, where she's explaining like her bad feelings for Charlotte, for Chuck, um, mm-hmm. about like, it's not a bad thing if you want to light somebody on fire, if you only think about lighting someone on fire, because you only think about it for a second. And then that second passes and you feel bad. But for that second, you can really have a lot of fun. Like, it's just like she is. <laughs> it, I, I get um, anytime that she is speaking with somebody, it kind of gives the show almost like a a Gilmore Girls-esque, like, fast-talking, like, everybody's on their toes, like, 17 jokes a page uh, comedy, which, like, I'm, I get, t- I got very tired of that when it was Gilmore Girls, but I think that, like, this show and how Kristen Chenoweth is able to turn those lines around so quickly works so, so good. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of subverting expectations in this show in general. I also had, like complicated feelings about the Asian guy who was like a confederate <laughs> uh do you remember the, in the in the third episode the the guy who confronts Ned in the funeral home the guy who has framed Ned for the murder that he committed as he was attempting to get a sword back that the funeral director had stolen from his great-grandfather who they had buried or was it his grandfather i don't know uh there was this weird like so so the the asian guy was speaking with a very exaggerated southern accent and they did this sidebar to explain where he came from and like the 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 convoluted the Chinese, backstory. uh, like railway worker who got, who escaped the, like, unscrupulous railway company he was working for and got swept up in the Civil War. And I was like, this, this seems weird and out of nowhere, but I don't think it's racist. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I don't know how I want to engage with that. I don't know. Like, yeah, I, but that's, I, I don't I mean, know that's how exact- I feel about it. It's it's weird, and this show is weird. So, like, I'm glad that it does weird things. Um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't. It didn't necessarily matter what the character's race was, other than like them talking about being a Chinese rail worker. Uh, well, they wait, made wait, wait. A, they made a whole sidebar out of it, right, though. Right, right, because it was an Asian guy with a really exaggerated, like yeah, Kentuckian yeah. or thereabouts accent, and like so, passion but, for Confederate memorabilia. Yeah. yeah, it it didn't feel not not racist. <laughs> <laughs> um, I and we had we had some uncomfortable stuff with Wonderfalls, yeah. where it felt like. Yeah. Brian Fuller was trying to say something about race and you don't have an Asian American doing a, uh, 
like exaggerated Southern accent talking about his great grandpappy, the Confederate war hero and not be saying something about race. Like he's saying something about race. I don't think he had the tools to communicate his idea. And I don't think in the year of our Lord 2021 (laughs) that I can really parse exactly what he was trying to communicate in 2007. I, I will say that I don't think Brian Fuller is like racist. I've seen enough of his work to say that, like, I don't think he is a mean spirited creator, but I don't, I don't think he communicated what he was trying to well here. And if one of my Asian friends was like, that's fucking racist, I'd say, yeah, I, I believe you. I believe that that episode is not good. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also yeah. it's the only Asian representation that's been in the show. Granted, show it's so only far, three yeah. episodes in, but still, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was just, it was just very weird. weird. It was yeah. just very weird. There was nothing stereotypical in it. There was not, like, Asian stereotypes. There, there wasn't... Yeah, I like, think he's trying I, to say it, something. Yeah. But, I, I just don't know what the fuck he's right. trying to say. Well, it feels like you were talking about, Evan, like, this feels like a subversion of, of like, a trope or of a, a common uh, conception. And, like, it's fine when that, you know, when that trope or that thing is like, ooh, a, a pie baker or, like, the, the trope of just, you know, an oversaturated world that is all about death. Um but like this is like you're treading into some waters that like, well, like I don't know if you know why you're here. It it almost feels like if you were to turn this from Brian Fuller to Chris Claremont, uh, who I he he wrote all of the good X Men comics from the seventies and eighties, but it it would be an Asian character obsessed with his family's sword, and he'd be dressed like a ninja, and it would be a katana. Hmm. And, like, in the 70s, where there wasn't any sort of Asian representation in comics, that was a big deal. But you fast forward to, you know, the 90s, and that feels racist. Mm -hmm. And this, it's almost like Brian Fuller is saying something, maybe about that, where, like, it's an Asian American and he's trying to get his grandfather's sword. And like, ha, you and thought it has, was going to be a t- katana, you dummy. And he's got this kind of twisted view about his yeah. grandfather's honor, but it's, you know, this whole story about stolen identity and it's, it, it's, it's kind of all a mistake and it's, I don't know. I, I again, I don't have the tools to right, figure out what right, Brian Fuller's right. trying to say I, with this got, episode. But there's there's something there, and I don't necessarily <laughs> think it's mean spirited. It, it just in 2021, it's weird as weird fuck. Vibes. It's weird, I, and I don't. I feel like I've gotten us off on too much of a tangent because this was like a few minutes of the show. I just felt it like was a few minutes, a few minutes of the show, but it yeah. was the like epic conclusion of this show and like of this episode that is. And, yeah. And there was a sword fight. Sword fights are great. Yeah. I, yeah. So the, the, reason, oh, the, the mo- reason it really stuck out to me is because I was like, Hmm, 
does Lee Pace know all of this sword choreography? Because he just got done filming The Fall, and I looked up the dates. <laughs> sure enough, he knows all the sword choreography because he just got done. He had just got done filming The Fall like a year before. You know, you said that to me, and I was thinking he doesn't sword fight anyone in The Fall that I can remember. He uses a, a like pistols the entire time. But doesn't he? I don't think he does. He does get s- spoilers for a movie from two thousand six. He gets stabbed at one point. But I don't think he sword fights anyone. He I just has pistols. Did. But it wouldn't surprise me if in filming in 28 countries with no shots on the stage, if there was a sword fight somewhere in there and it got cut. Or if he had to do sword training because they weren't sure and then it just didn't happen. I need to watch The Fall again. It's been a few years. I could have sworn there were some sword fights in there. I don't think so. There are sword fights in... The movie, I guess. Yeah, it's possible the, Lee Pace wasn't in them. The uh, the the Indian character fights with the sword. Mm-hmm. Um. Anywho, uh, the moment where the guy is like, "I'm this big time Civil War reenactor. I'm, you know, undefeated with the Confederate saber," and Lee Pace is like, "I want to be. I wanted to be a Jedi growing up." And they have their sword fight, and it's very cute. At Lee one Pace point, talking they, about Star Wars is very cute. They, at one point, they chop off one of the cadaver's feet, and mm-hmm. and they're just like both of them are just like ooh, and then they continue <laughs> sword fighting, which is very good. Yeah, this is a very like. There's a lot of death in this show. There's a lot yeah. of dismemberment in this show, but it's also like weird and bright and colorful. That so, it doesn't it doesn't hit like it is supposed to because everything's so surreal i will get into that in a minute but yeah yeah there's a lot of that this is like the sort of like weird sort of macabre stuff that i feel like tim burton has always been trying to capture and Mm. do but Mm. i've never felt like actually hits or lands i really don't like tim burton's language sure his aesthetic like how he communicates his ideas it's never worked for me there's not a single tim burton movie that i've actually ever enjoyed including the batman movies i know some people love his batman movies i don't fucking like them i think schumacher is a better batman storyteller which is probably controversial but um well i think this sort of macabre energy Everything is so weird and creepy. It doesn't quite work, but it's also really in like inviting and bright. It's 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 such a weird energy, but it's so good. With this, I, I think that bringing up the um, uh, um, the uh, literally cannot even think of his name, and you just said the Burton esque element. Yes, the Burton esque element is very like um, is very like apt. Um, because mm-hmm. when I see this, I think of um, Edward Scissorhands, like like kind of in mm. that early um, vein of of uh, of Tim Burton, but not like deep, deep into his like, you know, this is my world um, where I think that like Tim Burton, I forget who who said it, but I, I, I agree with it. Tim Burton, I think, would be a great like visual director like a great like scene director but when you put the ball totally in his hands like this this it it just it's too much um i could very much see him working with 
Um, Brian, goodness gracious, Brian my brain. Fuller. Brian Fuller. Yeah. I can very much yeah. see him working with Brian Fuller, where Brian Fuller is directing and he being like an art director on the film and it kind of having this aesthetic and maybe even pushing it a little further. Um, but yeah, it, I think that the, those vibes are definitely here. And um, I, I, it, but it strikes that balance very well, I think. Well, it, it's almost, it almost feels more sinister because everything is so bright and fantastical. Yes. Like yes, there's, yes, yes. there's, there's all these flowers everywhere and flower imagery. And like the, the dandelion car like looks kind of silly. And like the pie shop is shaped like a fucking pie. It's just a building shaped like a pie. And like the. It's like SpongeBob. The, the mermaid sisters, their house is like this beautiful, like Victorian, like haunted house almost but like not creepy it's it's got a million colors it's like one of those gingerbread victorians and it's just like painted in like purple and yellow and pink and blue and green and yeah like everything is so aesthetically charged with Mm -hmm. this energy but then his mom kisses him and she dies in the first five minutes and like he can never touch his dog again. He it's the same dog and he can't he can't touch his dog again. But he loves his dog, so he couldn't get rid of it. It's so heartbreaking. Um, I, go ahead. Go ahead, Ronnie. Okay. Um I, I I think that one of the notes that I have here, and it is not solely because Christian Chenoweth is here, but it, it does have a big part. Like this kind of visually spectacular. But like the tone and content is very dark. This is begging for like a Broadway musical adaptation of just like it looks like that. It looks like if they started. This really to like, should. You're right. Yeah, it's 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 so when she starts singing, like it, when she starts singing in, in, in episode two, like it, I was just like, this is this is a musical, right? Like this. We are here. It's a musical like you. it's it's campy. It is like ridiculous and absurd but like it's it there's so much at the core of it like this is broadway theater in a nutshell and they've just decided to put it on tv instead like uh i think of course musical number yes was that in universe or was that for the audience i'm blanking on the 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 fancy term Um, yeah was that diegetic or non-diegetic i have Uh, to assume that it was diegetic, but yeah, there's no other like musicals. There's no abstract. There's music. there's a random yeah. musical number in the middle of 500 Days of Summer. Like sometimes creators yeah. are just like musical number now. Like is 500 Days of Summer Brian Fuller? N- I don't think so. Okay, I, I, I could. But I, 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 I was just yeah. JGL's um, on the brain. JGL, right? Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. But also, like, that's the kind of shit that just, like, you know, it, it just happens in a musical me. and you don't and you don't deal and you don't like, you know, it's just part of it. It didn't it didn't feel out of place. And yeah. maybe that is because the entire time I'm sitting here like, when are they going to let Christian Chenoweth sing a goddamn song? And literally, yeah. like, not even not even an hour and a half into this show. They're like, all right, lights up. Brian um, Fuller has your wish list yes. on his desk. Yeah, I, I think he that, doesn't have mine, but. Exactly. You can get away with that on TV. <laughs> <laughs> exactly what we're talking about of this, like very, very visually beautiful and like 
maybe a little too beautiful, a little unrealistically beautiful world that is just so actually like the, the cognitive dissonance is turned up to 11. Uh, that is that is such that is a, a you know, a campy, a little bit edgy uh, Broadway musical waiting to happen. Uh, I love the way Lee Pace plays this character because it does reflect how weird everything is because mm -hmm. Lee Pace's character is very neurotic. He's very anxious all the time, and it's partly because he's afraid of touching people. He can't touch his dog. He touches his dog with a little, like, um, back scratcher hand that he has, like, rigged up to make a a little petting motion on the dog. And, like, he has... The reason Emerson Codd found out that he had this power was by accident was because, like, a dude was running from Emerson Codd and, like, fell off a roof and, like bounced off a, uh, a dumpster and died, and then Lee Pace touched him, and he sprang back to life and then, like, ran off down the alley, and Lee Pace had to run after him and touch him again. But, like, Ned is so scared to, like, touch people unexpectedly. He's so scared of, like, accidentally touching his dog. He's so scared of being found out. He's scared of, uh, like... He clearly is a little bit squicked out and he doesn't like lying because they go to the the um, the morgue pretty frequently and he has to keep lying to the guy at the <laughs> morgue and the guy at the morgue is clearly onto him and he's clear like Ned is clearly anxious about it. And then uh, Chuck is now a perpetual element of his life and he loves her. He's just so excited and giddy that she's here. But also, he cannot touch her, and he's very anxious all the time that he's accidentally going to touch her. So he has to, like, build all of these, like, methods of prophylaxis in his apartment so that he doesn't accidentally touch her. Also, Chuck is, like, 100% into this. Like, she died after feeling like she hadn't lived the life that she really wanted to live. So now nothing is going to hold her back with her second chance on life. And she is diving headfirst into, like, we're going to be this private eye team. And, like, it's going to be great. And I'm going to go to the morgue with you. And I'm going to tell elaborate lies. And, like, she's here for it. She's really into it. And, like, her enthusiasm is very off-putting to uh, Emerson Codd. But also, like, Ned wants to support her. But is super anxious about her like enthusiasm for it. It's just a very great dynamic between the three of them. It's very fun. And I also think it reflects this sort of like weird dissonance happening with the tone of the show. Cause people are dying left, right and center. People are just dying all the time and there's nothing like gruesome in it to be clear. All of the like, you know, dead bodies are like kind of stylized looking. They're kind of like, bluish but like they don't really have you know even when people have uh like visible injuries they're very cartoonish looking so it's not like yucky but uh the the concept of death the specter of death is just hovering around all the time in this yeah. bright colorful springtime all the time world where 
people have jobs like pie maker and professional mermaid. We haven't even talked about um, Chuck's aunts, who they're retired now, but their job for a long time was they were like synchronized swimming celebrities who dressed up like mermaids and would like do like water dancing performances as mermaids and this was a big deal like they're very well known there's a guy who has a t-shirt of them um yeah so so there's there's all of this strange fantastical oversaturated stuff going on and then everyone's dying all the time it if if I may, like, bring up, I, I don't necessarily think this is a negative, but this is something that definitely did not work for me at first. Um, if we're if we're ready for that. Sure. Uh, th- so so this genre of like, it's not genre, but this trope of like the dead died and they can come back is something that is like. Deeply uncomfortable for me. It stresses me out a lot. Uh, there was that show a couple years ago about like, uh, I, I think it's a, a show that has been remade several times, but like a plane went down and then everybody returned, like they all died. And then five years later, everyone came back and like there's children who have been gone for like five years just being like hey what's going on dad like and it's 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 just it's freaky and it's weird and it's like i'm a person who has like a phobia like a real i mean i guess lots of people are afraid of death but like the concept of death and like the trappings of death is just something that really just scares me it freaks me out a lot and this question of like ooh, if you could come back would you is just something where it's like Boy, howdy, I don't even want to, like, have to delve into this world. So, like, that being, like, the impetus behind this and kicking it off, I was just kind of like, ooh, I think I, I don't, I don't dislike this show, but I think I hate this. Um, And then bringing in, um, you know, you mentioned, Andy, the, that um, Lee Pace is just very anxious about accidentally touching Chuck and I same same the the entire show I'm just like ooh you're getting a little close there don't do it don't and like the only thing like I'm holding on to hope that like they're probably not going to kill Chuck at episode 3 of season 1 but like I don't know I they they could do anything it really is just like I am I am very stressed out and anxious a lot while watching this show and I can't help but separate that from the fact that I watch any show now and people get close, and I'm like, "Ooh, you're getting close to people now." In yeah, the, in, in, the, in the, the time of times. COVID, yeah. it, it is. It different. is. It is yeah. a very interesting show to watch right now. With that being on my mind, of just like, yes, of course you can't touch. Of course you can't be like close to these people. Like, and, and if you touch somebody, they could die. <laughs> like that's that is like I. I it is. It is very. I. The long way around this is just like this concept i do not like and it freaks me out i think this show is doing a very good job with it but also having being able to watch this in the like almost after times of covid is like very like cathartic of just like yes like this is you know this is a show that understands the the pain that i'm experiencing watching people uh hug and touch and grrr. 
Bum, 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 bum. This brings us to uh, our new segment of oh. uh, romantic ways that Ned and Chuck get to touch that would otherwise be weird as fuck. It's a long title for the segment, but so far we have had... A the segment ma- alternate title is, for once, it's not a fetish thing. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, for once, it's not a fetish thing. Ned and Chuck make out through uh, saran wrap? Yeah. Through plastic wrap? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the other thing that I noticed in these three episodes is Ned uh, creates a, like, plastic, a clear plastic wall in his car with a rubber glove through it so that while they're driving, they can hold hands. Are you going to say also- what I think you're going to say? Are you is 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 holding hands what you thought? It's for holding hands, hands Ronnie. Oh my okay. god, Jeez. did you go to a hand job? Well Well, here listen, in my defense. He, he <laughs> it's says It's a beautiful romantic show, Ronnie. In my defense, Chuck asks uh Lee Pace, asks Ned, like, oh, and what's this for? And he kind of like fumbles and he's like, uh, it's for, uh, you know, if you need to grab the wheel or something like that. And like, I understand that he's very neurotic and he and he is like, it's it's for holding my hand because I love you and I want you to hold my hand. But I could not help but think like, uh, I mean, you could use it for whatever you want to use it for, Chuck. <laughs> um, was- yes, I, I immediately went to hand. <laughs> There was also um, a, a scene in, I think it was episode one, where uh, they're at the morgue together investigating a uh, a murder, and the, there's, there's a narrator for this show. We didn't even mention that to this point. I like the narrator. I find his voice very soothing. I find this show very soothing, actually. It stresses I'm, me out. I'm with Ronnie, but... Uh, I find... Okay. I apologize, Ronnie, like, death phobia is not even a thing that occurred to me as, like, something that could be triggering about this show, Mm -hmm. uh, but, like, I'm among the least death-fearful people I know, so maybe that's why I find it soothing. I don't know. I don't worry about death and dying stuff, just in general. Uh, but there's a scene where they're standing in the morgue, and, uh... Chuck says something clever, and the narrator goes, at that moment, Chuck reached behind her hand and held one hand in the other hand, and Ned reached behind his back and did the same thing, and they were both pretending that they were holding each other's hands. It was just very cute. It's cute. It was just very it's cute. cute. Um, the other, like, the there, there's two that I want to point out, if I may. Yeah, um, you can join the, it's not, for once, it's not a fetish thing. Yeah. Uh, contributors. Um. Boy, howdy, did I try to make it a fetish thing very quickly earlier. Yeah, you um, did. Uh, early on, um, they kind of, I'm counting this, they have the the monkeys that were in the briefcase. Uh, that, oh, that, yeah. That, so yeah. The, reason, the reason Chuck got murdered on uh, her vacation is because the travel agent tricked her into carrying very valuable golden monkeys with her and lied and just said they were like sentimental value monkeys. Can you please bring them to somebody? And she got murdered so that somebody could steal the golden monkeys. And uh, at the end of it, they both have the golden monkeys before they realize they're golden monkeys. And they're kind of just like, you know, 
tapping the golden monkeys at each other and then they get re- it gets real like they're pushing the faces of the monkeys together in like a very like mm, mm, little role play scenario um and then you forgot you forgot the biggest one um which is like this is this is if if this isn't a fetish i don't know what is they in the in the scene where they're about to get killed in the car they kiss each other through the clear plastic body bags Oh yeah. yeah. With yeah, their hands do, tied they? up. That's like that's literally somebody's thing. That, yeah, that's yeah. definitely a fetish. Yeah. This is not the show's not weird like that though. It's not. It's just sweet no, and cute. It's it's it is the hoops they are jumping through to just do like cute couple stuff because they're deeply romantically in love. Like it doesn't even feel sexual it just feels like they're just deeply romantically in love and want to be able to do cute couple stuff but Mm -hmm. they have to jump through these weird fucking hoops that like if i went to like kink con 2000 and i saw a bunch of people like zip tied up in body bags (laughs) pumping the shit out of each other i'd be like that's gross like i'm not here to kink shame but that's gross but i watch it in this i'm like oh they're so in love yeah look at the bright colors Um, to, to, uh, to double back to the narration, I was trying to think, I definitely heard this, this actor before, um, mm-hmm. and I didn't realize how niche it was. This is Jim Dale. Um, and what I knew him for is that he is basically the go-to, um, narrator for the Harry Potter video games. So I, I, oh. you know, heard him on, on the Chamber of Secrets video game in the U.S. version, at least, uh, the Sorcerer's Stone and uh, he is going to be the voice actor for uh, the Wizarding World video game. Um, or maybe not. Nope, this is an older game. Um, so that's fine. I was going to very much say that you should not support his work. Um, on those games. On those games. He's got lots of other things you can do. He's still working. Um, but yeah, he, he's that, he is the voice of, of, uh, of a very bad author. Um, in a, a half decent video game. I knew that I had heard his voice before. It was yeah. vaguely familiar to me. I yeah. don't know where I, I definitely I sh- did play the Harry Potter video games as a child. So that may yeah. be it, but yeah, it's very soothing. He's got a very soothing sort of, uh, uh, like he's like a grandpa or an uncle, you know, sure. just, just telling you a story. It's very nice. Mm hmm. Um, Andy, Andy, this, this, uh, concept is bad for you too. Um, the concept of death, not necessarily, sure, but it is an anxiety inducing show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I can't quite put a finger on it, but all of the, the, the nervousness around touching and, um, Ned is, I mean, this is something that I don't even know if we have time to get into in this episode, but this show flips the script on so many stereotypes around masculinity and men Mm -hmm. that I find uh, very refreshing, but also, like, there is an anxiety about that, for sure, about, like, Ned is such a nervous protagonist. And his yeah. nervousness, like, you can't help but feel nervous right. for him. Um, 
And I think that Ned is a very empathetic character. And so we are naturally feeling an immense amount of empathy for this character who is extremely anxious at the same time. He can't pet his dog. Yeah. He can't touch his girlfriend. When he when he decided he was going to lay on the couch, like. I was like, but what if your dog jumps up on you or something? Like, don't do it, Ned. Like, the dog's uh, just the goodest boy ever. The, the dog has is, clearly been trained out of that. The which dog's is sad good with the it. dog. The dog Ma- gets to hang out with Christian Chenoweth, though. So. Yeah, the yeah, dog he's, does he's go hang good. out with Olive a lot to get his yeah. uh, human touching fix. Um, I, again, I, like we probably don't have time to get into it this episode, but Emerson is such a... Uh, reversal of especially in the year of our lord 2007 of what like black men i feel like could be on tv on like this sort of procedural show Mm -hmm. like this this is a like a murder procedural show and except it extremely isn't yeah except that it extremely isn't but it is and if you're a black actor in a show like that in 2007 on network tv you're you're the you're the murderer, right? Or you're a hard boiled yeah, cop, you know, who who's who is, you know, a, a very particular brand of toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, and Emerson isn't like any of those things. Like he loves he loves knitting, and like he's he a, knits little he knits little koozies for his money. <laughs> And, like, when he's nervous, like, he he uses knitting to, like, deal with his nerves. Um, and, like, he gets to, like, show emotion, and, like, he's a good friend, and he's, like, very competent at his job, and he's not a cop. I love that he's not a cop. I love that he's a PI. Like, you can root for him and not feel guilty about it. Unproblematic fave. Yeah, PIs are great as far as... Uh, fiction is concerned because you get mm-hmm. all the fun of a procedural, but you're not a cop. And like, right. I just, I just feel like he is definitely not, he wasn't typical for the time. And I don't watch really network TV at all anymore. I don't know if this has changed in 2020, but like, yeah, he's just a phenomenal flip on the like classic masculine. I feel like show, especially for a black character. And also you get to like. In a show, the very tall, very attractive white protagonist would be kind of like our POV. And and for this show, more or less, it is. We do have the narration to kind of guide us through. But since we do have the narration and it's not like through um, it, it's through Ned's childhood, but not necessarily through his eyes like it is, you know. I don't feel very other than the anxiety bit. The relatability to Ned is just not always there for me. It's just like the the things that are concerning him are like very specific to his strange circumstances. Whereas um, Emerson is just like this guy is trying to do a job with a very, very weird person and just trying to make money. And it's not like he's trying to like, you know, put put Ned up on like a uh, on a freak show stage and make money that way. He's just trying to like help people and also make himself a lot of money to the point where like when um, Chuck comes in and is like kind of messing up their investigations a little bit. Like I was like, 
yeah, I'm kind of annoyed with Chuck. Like, Emerson's just trying to do his best out here. Like, he is the audience surrogate for me here. And that Thank is just you, something. I, I got lost in the weeds on my Emerson point <laughs> about why I feel anxious about this yes. show. But it's because I, like, Emerson is dealing with a bunch of shit that he shouldn't yes. have to deal with. Yes. All these weirdos. He's just right. trying to be a PI. And I'm sorry I interrupted you on your final point, but like, no. thank you for finding me lost in the weeds on Yes, my, yes. I That's was just like, what... the blackness of Emerson and like, it's such a right. refreshing black character, but like, right. thank you. You don't get that. And a show that is all, I mean, outside of, as we talked about this, this Asian character who is obsessed with the, the Confederacy, a show that is predominantly white folks you do not get a a black man being the audience surrogate being able to look around at the everyone and be like what is going on here like unless it is are a bunch a, of weirdos unless it, it's a quote-unquote black show unless it's a tyler perry show and like that is the whole you know vibe of it um i love that he's not superstitious either which i feel like is a very common mm-hmm. black trope in like supernaturally kind of shows is that the the black character is like either like a wizard who has like wisdom to give you or they're like a uh like an over-the-top dramatic like superstitious kind of character and like emerson's not that at all he doesn't professional he doesn't like dead people he like stands on the other side of the morgue when when ned wakes them up and it's like Dude, same. Yeah, I want yeah. to be kind of as far away from this concept as possible while still enjoying Lee Pace's beautiful face and the dynamic that y'all have. And um, the, 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 it's not a kink thing. <laughs> like Emerson <laughs> is just like weirded and grossed out by it, yeah, exactly. as, as you would be. Yeah, they're making out of body bags, and like you're bringing um, your like you're my business partner and you're my friend, but you're bringing your enthusiastic dead girlfriend into this, and like. Right. She's thrown off the whole vibe and I'm not here for like Emerson's just very relatable. Yeah, he's, exactly. He's yes. giving a commentary on everything that's happening. Um, and like it's it's good shit. It's, and I think he's a great is, character. The show has done a great job of like having that character and also having Lee Pace, who is, you know, often not relatable. He's very anxious. But as you said, like he has fallen in love with a girl that he met when he was eight years old. And like, that's like not relatable. Like when, when Chuck comes back, it's like, okay, I see where the show is going because that's where the show is going. But it's like, if, if he just lets her die and that's like a, a, you know, something that they return to, I think the show is fine. I think the show is very weird with what it's choosing. So I'm happy it's choosing this, but like, I don't relate to someone who's like, I uh, bought you a T-shirt when we were in second grade, and now I'm going to kill someone else so that you can stay alive and live in my house and we can have a relationship we never got to. Like, I'm sitting over here with Emerson like, what the fuck is happening here? And how did I get tangled up in all of this mess? And then I look over at Olive and Olive's just like staring after everyone like, oh, it's it's. It is, you know. Yeah, it, it's so there's there's a lot going on with the show and all of it's very anxiety inducing. It's all very good, but it is it is uh, to the the point I was initially trying to make. It is a wild show to watch. Like and then Ralph 
And then Raul Esparza comes in and tries to sell uh, uh, steak oil to help everyone be less depressed in this like saccharine wasteland. <laughs> like it is it is that is saying something that is sir. I think yeah. Brian uh, Fuller definitely knew what he was saying by by bringing in like a uh, essential oil homeopathic salesman. depression mm-hmm. curer. It's a good show. It's a good show. I love this show. It's really good. I, I definitely get stressed out. That's not going to stop. Mm-hmm. And I'm not yeah. upset about it. I think. I don't know. It's I'm I'm, I'm dealing with it well. And I, I the show is good enough that it's not like I'm not like cringing over it kind of thing. So good pick. Thanks. Good, mm-hmm. Thanks for breaking the rules once again and and giving me the opportunity to watch a show where people are not allowed to touch as opposed to me screaming at my TV saying it, don't you know it's COVID? I didn't even, it it didn't even occur to me that like this show would be such a wild pick. Yeah. In this here quarantine time still. Yeah. Every time, every time I watch a regular show, even Uh if I know that it was filmed before COVID, Uh I've just become so I have become so used to the reality we're living in now where if someone brushes too close to me <laughs> in the grocery store, my heart rate spikes. Oh, my goodness. Uh, that, the like, hair on my arms right now, Evan. The hair on my arms. Yeah. So if I see somebody touching on television, if I see people kissing or like sharing food on television, even if I know this was filmed long before COVID and has nothing to do... It's still like I have a moment every now and then where I'm just like, what are you doing? What are you? Uh. <laughs> so, yeah, it de- it hits. It definitely hits different in the covid times. This show does. Uh, so I guess next time we're going to watch uh, four, five and six. Yeah, we are watching this on HBO Max, by the way, dear listener, yeah. uh, you should watch along if you are able. Uh, mm-hmm. IMDb is telling me that you can also watch it on CW Seed. Hey, love that CW Seed. It's the worst player ever, but it is free. CW Seed. Um, a weird title. I don't like it. Yeah. Um, we should explain. Our, our, we're we're going to watch season one and then maybe return to season two at a later point. Is that the, is that the plan? I think that's the plan. Yeah, we're, we're going to watch all of season one for my pick. And then uh, maybe on my next pick, I'll pick season two or maybe I won't. Uh, maybe someone else will pick season two. I don't know. But we'll get back to it. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll definitely circle back around to it. Probably just like we're going to circle back around to young Hercules at some point. Sure will. Sure will. Trans artists of the day will not let us let that go. They not that not that we are being held against our will. I would love to return to the world of young Hercules at some point. Um Love. You gotta do it for research for your Greek mythology. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. There's so much. The Ares of the uh, young Hercules averse is really the the character that I want to go with. It's not. He's not. Um, but we will return to all these good, good shows at some point. Um, stick with us in the meantime and follow us online. I've decided that I'm, I'm shortening this point dramatically. I really just want you to follow us on Twitter uh, at uh, a pending pod on Twitter. Uh, even if you if you really want to send us an email, then you can do that. But the the thing about email is that if you engage with us via email, 
it doesn't help our algorithm at all. So, <laughs> so just send that big chunk of, of uh, email in Twitter and it's, and it'll be like, you know, look at all these people who are interacting with us. We're so popular. Um, we are us on slaves t- to the social media system. Yeah. The machine. Yeah. Follow us on Twitter at penning pod. There's all of our other links will be in the, in the uh, show you, you notes below. Fucking inspirational, Ronnie. I don't think Force Friends Rewatch has ever gotten a, an email. I'm just going to stop talking, mentioning our email. Just just tweet at Force Friends. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Brilliant, Ronnie. Love it. Tweet it at Pending Pod. Uh, tweet at Force Friends Rewatch, too. Um, yeah. and, uh, and And head on over to uh, patreon.com slash WTM radio. We got our first... Uh, our first payment, I guess you would call it. First uh, cards were 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 charged, and thank you so much to everyone who's uh who's who's supporting us. Um, we have some great content coming soon. Some bonus pods, uh, some that have been a carryover from older times, and some that are brand spanking new. As well as like we're gonna do some videos and stuff, and and of course your good good outtakes and pet picks. Um, I'm so. launching a new podcast. It's happening. I'm not going to give happening. me details about it, but I've already recorded several episodes, so it's definitely happening. If mm-hmm. uh, if we get enough uh, money per month, Evan and I will do a poll, and we'll recreate one of the makeout scenes from Pushing Daisies. Do you do yeah. you want us to get some body bags? Do you want us to get some saran wrap? <laughs> Make it a fetish. Yeah. So we'll oh, uh, we'll get some beekeeper suits. Yes. And, uh, and get sloppy on cam for the Patreon. Mm, uh, okay. <laughs> or we won't. I don't know. I'm it's not an undefined amount of money that Andy yeah, said out there. But when we hit the amount of money that makes me comfortable with that, I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh boy. thank you so much for listening. Andy, what do we say at the end of these? Uh... Don't touch anyone. Don't they, touch they, they me. They might die. Don't touch Don't me. Don't touch anyone. Don't touch Don't anyone touch ever. Anyone. Uh, yeah. People are icky. Don't touch other people. Leave the dead dead. <laughs> Leave the dead to take care of their dead. That got. That got. Yeah, I don't serious. have any. I don't have an answer to that. Yeah, I, I, I don't have I, a yes. response to that. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're you're good. Biblical. Oh yeah, Jesus said that. When Peter's like Peter's like, Jesus, my mom died. Can I bury my mom? And Jesus was like, Fuck Fuck off, Peter! No, I'm Jesus, and this is about me right now. Fuck them kids. (laughs) Where they may radio.